Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. Shockingly, I am Chris Rawl. Reminder, I am starting writing this week. I will be writing something once per week. It will easily be delivered to your inbox if you go to www.chrisrawl.com and click the subscribe button in the top right and give me your email. I promise you I will not do anything too profane with that email address. I will merely send you something once a week about sports that will work in conjunction with this show. So if you have not already done that, again, you can go to www.chrisrawl.com, click that subscribe button, and starting on Wednesday of this week, uh, something will be there waiting for you, and we will go from there. Now, let's move forward. Let's talk about sports, and let's move on to today's episode, where I will talk about the NBA and the NHL, and how neither league can find the balance between protecting their star players without lying down for them. The NBA and the NHL are two sports that I love. Their schedules basically mirror one another. Most years, hockey will finish a little bit before the NBA. This year, it will be flip-flopped because the NHL had to go through a COVID pause. But because of this mirroring of scheduling, I'm always thinking about these sports in conjunction with one another. Basketball versus hockey, professional basketball versus professional hockey, what I love about one versus the other, what I think one could take from the other. It's this ongoing stream of thoughts that just go through my mind, especially when I settle down for a night and I got the four TVs running and I got two hockey games on and two basketball games or whatever. I really am tuned in and hyper aware of the differences between the two sports for good and for bad. Now, what I want to talk about on today's show, what I have been thinking about over the course of this last week, and especially over the weekend, is the issue of star players. The issue of what a league needs to do in order to protect its star players. The issues that arise if you go too far. If you lay down for your stars and say, just do whatever you want, just run things. It's kind of the question that I really arrive at for the vast majority of things, which is how do you find a balance very, very important question in life in a wide variety of ways. And it's a very important question to try and answer as we seek out, how do you find the balance between protecting your stars and not lying down for them? Those two things. Now, the NFL, the NFL always I kind of point to and say, in the vast majority of ways, this league has found a pretty good mix. It's really hard to find a perfect balance in any way, shape or form with anything. But the NFL does a pretty good job between finding a balance of we want to protect our stars. We want to let them shine. We want people to come in and watch football and be excited because our stars are put in the best position to succeed while also saying, but we are not just going to let them run willy nilly and do everything at the expense of every other player on the roster and coaches and refs and all these types of things. Now I'd point to stuff like the way the NFL will tweak rules in order to Protect quarterbacks. Kind of go back to 2008. Tom Brady gets his knee blown out in game one of that season. It's the year right after New England had gone undefeated up until the Super Bowl. They lost to the Giants. And week one, this is obviously the team in the NFL, gets hit low, blows his knee out. Matt Castle comes in. They go 11-5, and five, but there's no Tom Brady. So the NFL is like, we don't want this kind of stuff. We actually want our stars to be on the field. So... We're now going to make it illegal to dive at a quarterback's legs when they're throwing, which sometimes can be maddening. At the same time, when you take it all in totality and you sit through some atrocious roughing the passer calls and this quote unquote helmet to helmet hit that's not even that. And you're going, I can't stand this. I can't stand this. It's making me so mad. 
I always arrive at a place where I go, well, the alternative is anything goes like it used to in the 80s or the 90s and quarterbacks are getting injured all the time and I'm forced to watch football games between two NFL teams that are starting their backup quarterbacks or their third string quarterbacks. Now, we've had COVID going on for the last two years and there's been a lot of matchups that have arisen because of COVID and COVID protocol that kind of mirror what I'm talking about, where you have Ian Book starting for the Saints on a Monday night. And as I'm watching it and they're playing the Dolphins, I'm going, this this isn't really fun. And it makes sense in my mind that maybe I will sometimes have to be so mad at my television because this roughing the passer call was just completely bogus and it will maybe affect my bet or my swing my team's game. But ultimately, I want stars to shine. I think the NFL does a good job of that, especially the most important position, quarterback. But both sides of the ball. I think the NFL puts players across the board in position to succeed. Uh, The biggest, most notable player in the Super Bowl last year was Aaron Donald. You know, defensive lineman, interior defensive lineman, not a position that you would look at and say, oh, we're going to see this guy on a bunch of Geico commercials and everybody's going to know who he is. But the NFL does care about football, which is strange because it's a league about football. So they put their stars in position to succeed. So understanding that, thinking about that, and transitioning to the NBA and the NHL, I'm sitting watching stuff over the weekend, thinking, how can these professional sports leagues be improved? Where do I think these are lacking? How do these two leagues specifically find a balance between protecting their stars and not laying down for them? Now, as I'm thinking about these things, I'm struck by how the NBA and the NHL have planted flags on opposite ends of this spectrum. The NHL is on the side of almost actively working against its star players. Very, very strange phenomenon. And the NBA has planted their flag on the side of, if you are a star, you can pretty much do whatever the hell you want because we want to be a league that just is essentially run by stars. Now, I'm sure you all have opinions to varying degrees about both of these stances. And whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether you enjoy as a viewer, I'm of the mindset that I want it sucked into the middle, kind of more similar to what the NFL has going, where I think you can pull from both places and say, we can let stars thrive without taking away from role players and supporting casts and kind of rendering them meaningless. So I want to start with the NHL because the story of the week within the league has to do with Your typical NHL goonery and the fallout that inevitably occurs when this happens and just the talking points and the endless back and forth between the old school hockey crowd and the more progressive hockey crowd. The Coyotes and the Anaheim Ducks, they play a game a couple days ago. Strangely enough, I was watching this game. It says a lot about me as a human being, but I was watching two teams who were nowhere near the playoff picture just try to duke it out both metaphorically and literally at the end of the game. But I bet on the Ducks, and so I wanted to watch it. You know, sue me. Now, the Ducks pound on the Coyotes in the game, on the scoreboard. One of these goals that is scored by Anaheim comes from a dude named Trevor Zegers, who is a fantastic, young, up-and-coming player. He has an incredible amount of skill and, in a big no-no to many hockey fans, he has a lot of flash Something that in the NHL, people 
will fold their arms and say, you better watch yourself, pal. You don't try flash in this league. This is about playing the big game and you get in the face-off circle and you dig pucks out of the corner. There's a lot of hockey fans and especially ex-hockey players who believe hockey is a game of grit and determination. And if you try to play it with skill and show me up, I'm going to come at you. So Zegers has a goal that only Zegers can do. Picks the puck up with his stick behind the net, whips around it and flips it over the goalie's shoulder. He's done it multiple times in the NHL now. It's the old Michigan goal. Nobody even knew it existed until a couple years ago. And now Trevor Zegers has kind of incorporated it into his game in the NHL. It's really very entertaining and fun. (laughs) And it's always cool when you see it happen. So he scores that way. The Ducks are blowing out the Coyotes. It's in the third period. And a dude named Jay Beagle on the Coyotes. He's still festering some sort of anger about this this offense, if you want to call it that. This fact that Trevor Zegers scored an incredibly awesome and beautiful goal. And you don't do that to me in the NHL. So it's late in the third period. And Trevor Zegers, you know, the whistle gets blown. He's down by the goalie. And Jay Beagle comes up behind him and cross-checks him as hard as he can in the back. Cheap shot, you know, happens sometimes in hockey. Now this goes a step further because the person who comes over in defense of Zegras is Troy Terry, who is the leading scorer for the Anaheim Ducks. Also an up-and-comer, also a young dude. Uh, He's over a 30-goal scorer right now. Kind of a breakout season for this winger on Anaheim. Also a dude who has no fighting majors in his career. It's not the style of hockey that he plays. He's a skilled player, doesn't really want to go and muck it up. So he comes over, and Jay Beagle, who's just in a rage, you know, tosses gloves off and just starts wailing away on Troy Terry. Jay Beagle outweighs him by a good amount, bigger than him, also a guy who fights. Not really a fair fight, and that's how it plays out. He just pummels him, uh, fractures his face, does all sorts of stuff. Uh, Troy Terry looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the season now. So this stuff happens sometimes in hockey, which you can argue whether or not It's a part of the game. It should be a part of the game. The violence within the sport is really complex. I recorded a show about that last year after the Tom Wilson against the Rangers stuff. There's a lot of violence in the sport that I personally like. And I think it's uh, really refreshing to have a sport that lets its players police themselves a lot of the time. Now, when that goes awry, you arrive at incidents like this, which is where it gets a lot more complex and a lot more murky. And it also leads to the questions about, is this what you actually want? Uh, How far are you willing to go as a league to protect your stars? Uh, Why can somebody like Jay Beagle just come around and cross-check Zegers in the back because he scored a cool goal and then pound on Troy Terry because he was sticking up for this cheap shot and not really have to have any repercussions because of this? Now, to take it a step further, the... Phoenix Coyotes, or Arizona Coyotes now, whatever they're called. Their color commentator's name is Tyson Nash. He's an ex-NHL player. Graybeard, in every sense of the word. So he's on the broadcast, and he starts freaking out as this stuff's going on. Because one of the players on his team, Jay Beagle, or the team that he announces for, is wailing away on these guys. And so this is a direct quote that comes from him. As this incident is taken place and they've started separating people and Troy Terry's bleeding everywhere and all that kind of stuff. This is a quote that comes from Tyson Ash said on the broadcast. That's the problem sometimes with these young players. You want to embarrass guys and you want to skill it up 
you better be prepared to get punched in the mouth, end quote. So this is where uh, the firestorm has taken off because now you have, again, the old school hockey mindset against where a lot of fans, myself included, kind of want the sport to go, which is I want violence retained to a certain extent, but this is not what I want, especially when you're saying it's okay for star players to be cheap shotted or knocked out because they are good at playing hockey by these players that from a a skill perspective are inferior. Now, I've never played hockey. Absolutely love the sport. I've watched it all my life. Been a Colorado Avalanche fan since they moved to Denver in 1995-1996 season. I have watched them every single step of the way, every single season. It's been awesome. It's truly one of my favorite things to do in life is to watch hockey, especially the playoffs. I put that up there with anything in sports. Now, as a person who's followed the sport my whole life but not played it, I'm always freaked out by this particular mindset, what Tyson Nash is saying and what a lot of people believe. It's really predominant amongst the former player crowd that, hey, if you want to try and embarrass me, I'm going to kick your ass. Because there's a difference between embarrassing somebody and being good at hockey, which is where the distinguishing feature here needs to be pointed out. If you're reading the lines and between the lines of what he's saying, you're hearing stuff like, so are you saying that skill is bad, that we don't want skill to be on display within this sport? That if you are too good, and especially if you are much better than me, then the rules should allow me to injure you. That I, I don't need to suffer repercussions that would come in any other sport if you went out of your way to just literally take somebody out of the game because you were mad that they threw a touchdown or that they drilled a three-pointer on your head or any of these types of things. It's very, very strange to me. And yet, again, it is something that is threaded into this sport. And a lot of people still abide by this code that to me seems outdated, but to a lot of other people does not. That if you try to skill it up, if you want to call it that, I'm going to come at you. So Trevor Zegras, who's in the midst of this, is in some ways one of the most unique hockey players that I can remember. He just plays in a different way. Kind of compare it to streetball on ice. Just the flash and the dash, but just so much skill that's in it. And half the time you're going, can this actually work? Because I've never really seen this work at a professional level. And then he does another Michigan goal and you go, I think this can work. I'd like to see this guy on a better team. This is kind of cool. And this kind of stuff, it drives the old school crowd bananas. They go insane about it. You say, you do not do this. Now, there's the issue. It's laid out. And when I go to an organizational level, to the level of the NHL, for reasons that I cannot fully determine, the NHL is kind of on board with this old school mindset. Maybe not necessarily on board, but they're not willing to aggressively pursue it and say, uh, there's a time and a place for violence in this game up to a certain point, but this has exceeded that threshold. The NHL is kind of caught between the past, the present, and the future. The present is there's just so much skill that's involved with this game. And yet, they're still chaining themselves down to the ground because there's a decent amount of goonery that still occurs. Goonery that just is happening because 
team X is better than team Y or player X is better than player Y. And they don't like it. They feel embarrassed because this team is better than them. So they can go out of their way and pound on somebody or slash them or cross check them or break a rib or whatever you see. That kind of stuff is where I go, this is not in your best interest. I don't understand why you are okay with this being how it is. Now, this issue is very complex uh, and extends well beyond just this individual incident between Terry and Beagle and Zegras. It's tied into hockey is a product. What do I want to see as a viewer? What do other people want to see as fans and viewers? I think about stuff like Connor McDavid in the playoffs last year. When I'm thinking about the NHL and what they are willing to do on behalf of their stars. Which for me, I say, don't you want your stars to shine? It seems like it's in your best interest. I don't think that's a very hot take. It's about the coldest, most tepid take you could possibly find. But the NHL, they don't necessarily see eye to eye with me on that. Conor McDavid in the playoffs last year. The Oilers get swept by Winnipeg. He does not draw a penalty in these four games. Connor McDavid, if you don't really watch hockey, is the fastest, most skilled player on planet Earth. When you are fast and when you have skill, you can skate circles around everyone on the ice. One of the ways that they have to try and slow you down is to clutch and grab and slash and hold and all of the things that are called penalties. It's just the way that it has to work. It's the same concept in basketball, right? If you're much faster than the defender who is on you, they're going to have to clutch and grab and commit fouls because you can blow by them. Very simple concept to understand. If you are a receiver who is significantly faster and quicker than the cornerback who is guarding you, they are probably going to commit pass interference or defensive holding a lot of times because they just know you are more gifted than I. And I'm going to try and push the envelope within the context of the rules, but the ref is going to understand sooner rather than later, ah, that's not legal. This guy is actually just better than you. And the rules are structured to protect somebody who is better than the other player in an individual sport. That is not the case last year in the playoffs. Connor McDavid does not draw a penalty versus Winnipeg. That's impossible if you watch Connor McDavid play hockey. It just is, okay? Now, don't take my word for it. I watched these games. I was kind of in shock at the time going, oh, this is weird, but I didn't care as much because I just don't think Edmonton is very good at hockey. Now, it fired me up a little bit as a person who wants stars to be put in position to succeed. I want to watch Conor McDavid play hockey and I want to watch him play it to the very best of his abilities, not some clutch grab muck fest. I want him in open ice skating around and if he gets hauled down, then I want a penalty called. So I want to read a couple things that come from Ken Campbell of Sports Illustrated. He wrote about this at the time, last offseason. Just kind of this bizarre phenomenon that it's weird that McDavid doesn't really draw a lot of penalties in general, despite the fact that he is so fast that people have to clutch and grab nonstop. So this comes from Ken Campbell of Sports Illustrated. McDavid has played 21 playoff games. He has been on the ice for the Edmonton Oilers for a combined 502 minutes and 30 seconds in those games. And in that time, the fastest, most talented, and most dynamic player in the world has drawn a total of six minor penalties. Zero in the eight games he has played in the last two playoff seasons. Now, Ken Campbell goes on to say this. Rachel Dorier, a senior analyst of data and analytics at BMO, watched McDavid's shifts against the Winnipeg Jets in isolation and counted at least 37, more than nine per game, possible penalties, all that were not called. She added that there were at least three instances per game 
where the infractions were egregious and blatantly obvious, end quote. Now, this mirrors what I watched. I think any hockey fan who was a part of this watched it and thought the same thing. Uh, This is kind of weird, like this dude's getting obliterated in certain areas in a very illegal manner, and there just is no penalty being called. We know that playoff hockey is more physical. We know it's more demanding. It takes a bigger toll. Um, This has been true in the past. This is true in the present. This will be true in the future. However, I ask a question always about this kind of stuff. I go, what is best here? What is best for hockey? Let's start there. That should always be the question that the NHL is asking on behalf of itself, on behalf of its fans. What is best for hockey? Uh, If you think Connor McDavid getting mauled into oblivion is good for your sport, you kind of have lost me there. I don't think that's in your best interest. The funnest thing that you can watch in hockey, right near or at the top of the list, is Connor McDavid playing hockey. Uh, That's not necessarily something that we've been able to get within the playoffs. I look at my own team, Colorado Avalanche. Right now, they lead the league in penalties drawn by a wide margin. It's been that way for the last couple of years. That's logical. This is a team that is built upon speed and skill. Now, I'm not sitting here saying, I want penalties called at every turn. This is I want these hockey games where each team has eight power plays. That is not what I'm trying to say. Because again, I think there's always balance that can be found. Seems like there's balance when you have a player as skilled as McDavid or a team that is skilled as the Avalanche. Say, hey, this team is going to come at you in waves with speed and with skill. And if you are not up to the challenge, we're going to start calling penalties. That is how it should be. And maybe it turns this game into a little bit more of a penalty fest, but that's on you because you are worse at hockey and you cannot try and defend what this team is bringing at you. Now, a team that's built upon speed and skill, there's always the question in the playoffs that when I say this and people who do not watch our hockey hear it, they go, what in the hell are you actually talking about? Question is, can you win with skill? Can you win with skill in the playoffs? It's about grit. It's about determination. About digging pucks out of the corner. It's about net front presence, banging home rebounds, just getting the puck at the net and elbowing people and slapping at it and all this open ice through the neutral zone, breakouts in your defensive zone. No, no, no. That can work in the regular season, but the playoffs, it's how it's always been. It's the physical game. and You're going to get bogged down. And honestly, to a certain extent, not to the fullest extent, To a certain extent, this has been partially true. The last two years in the playoffs for the Avalanche. Vegas bogged them down last year in the second round, beat them in six. The year prior, amidst a million different injuries for the Avalanche, including the fact that they started Michael Hutchinson, their third-string goaltender, who they plucked out of outer space to start Game 7. Dallas bogs them down in that series, wins in overtime of Game 7. Now, there are things that they did legally that I would say this was just good. They, They outplayed the Avalanche in these certain areas. And there was stuff that really frustrated me as a viewer. And obviously, my bias as an Avalanche fan was factored in. That why are these teams allowed to bog down what should be in the best interest of your league? Let your skill shine. Let your stars shine. Is it good that you always get to a point where you say, nope, if you're too skilled and it's playoff time, we believe that the opposing team can clutch and grab and slash and hook and not have to deal with repercussions for that. Is that good? Again, I say no. A lot of other people, they're fine with it. 
If you look at what a hockey game could be in the ideal sense of the word in my mind, I would point you to Saturday's ABC game that just occurred. It was the Avalanche. It was the Penguins. It was a masterclass in how good a hockey game can be between two teams that have speed, that have skill, that are allowed to play that way, and that are willing to try and match one another in those areas. It's a game that had one penalty called, period, the entire game. You will almost never see that in hockey, I promise you. I can't remember. I've watched 95% of Avalanche games this year. I can't remember another game where they've only had one penalty combined between the two teams. I can't remember a game outside the Avalanche that has only had one penalty called. But it was it was beautiful, thrilling, scintillating hockey in all senses of the word. It's a game that I would say, if you don't watch hockey, you could watch this game. And I would say, this should be exciting to pretty much anybody, including non-hockey fans. This is kind of when I envision what is a more open version of the NHL. The NHL, which a lot of times tries to box out new fans in ways that is so bizarre. This is the kind of game that I point at and say, this is how you should market it. This is what you should do. There's Nathan McKinnon. There's Sidney Crosby. There's Evgeny Malkin. There's Jake Gensel. There's Darcy Kemper. There's Kel McCarr. There's so much star talent on the ice. There's Tristan Jari. There's so much talent that was allowed to shine and thrive in this game. That's what the NHL should be. That's a sport that should appeal to more people than it currently appeals to. Now, let's talk about the NBA. Because there is a fine line between refs intervening and intervening too much. This is where we go to the entire opposite end. The NHL, they have struggled greatly. They continue to struggle with how how do we want our stars officiated? What is acceptable for people to do to our stars? Is it cool that they can just be injured on a whim because a player is angry that they are worse at hockey than them? Do we like that? Do we like that in the playoffs, Connor McDavid can just be clutched and grabbed and smashed and there's nothing happening there? The NHL struggles with that. The NBA is the polar opposite of the NHL. Stars are everything within this league. And it makes sense in a vast majority of ways. NBA stars, they're more recognizable than any athletes in any sport. A lot of that has to do with the NBA leaning in wholeheartedly to, we want our stars to decide the outcome of everything. We want their faces everywhere. In games, we want them to decide stuff. And again, logically speaking, it's a pretty good place to start. As a fan, I want to watch the best players play basketball. Who knew? <laughs> very, very simple concept to understand. And the NBA leans more into even offshoots of that. I would say the Trevor Zegers comparison in hockey, the way that he is currently just this firebrand and people are freaking out about him. He reminds me a lot of Jason Williams, white chocolate Jason Williams, who came in the league with the Sacramento Kings. And I think about the difference in how people viewed Jason Williams in basketball versus Trevor Zegers in hockey. There are a couple graybeards that are going, I don't really love this, but the overwhelming majority of NBA fans, if you remember when he came into the league, were just like, what in the hell is this? And this is freaking fun. And it didn't matter that Jason Williams wasn't going to be your traditional championship point guard. What mattered is he was coming in and dribbling between the legs and throwing underhand scoop passes across the entire court and whipping overhand tosses and shooting threes in John Stockton's face. There was so much entertainment that came from Jason Williams playing basketball. He was unique. He brought that streetball flair to the NBA, which there's always the older fans that are saying, I don't know if this can work. We've never really seen this. And then you watch Jason Williams and you're going, you might not be able to win a championship with this, but 
on a nightly basis. This guy's embarrassing people and it's really fun. It's just fun to watch. It is a different flavor than we're getting watching any other team. That's good to have. I like variety. Think most people do. Now, fast forwarding to now, the last 20 years, this uh, stars are everything mindset. It kind of, to me, and some will disagree with this, kind of feels like it is becoming a little bit more detrimental because once stars start to understand that they are everything, it's inevitable that you will see manipulation of that particular idea. The person that I would point to is a case in point and really who has come to symbolize a lot of what I like less about basketball now than I used to is James Hart, who is the least likable player of my lifetime. And I say that strictly in basketball terms. I've never enjoyed watching a star play less than I watch James Harden. Uh, his particular brand of basketball to me is unwatchable. I couldn't handle it on the Thunder. I really, really could not handle it on the Rockets. I still can't handle it now with the Sixers or the Nets, but I don't care as much because he's not as good. The basketball that he plays is unwatchable, and it is tied into the idea that I know stars are everything in this league. Because of that, I'm going to build an entire playing style around manipulation of refs because I know refs are going to cater towards stars. They're going to give stars more calls than they are going to give to your random scrub ass off the bench. James Harden understood this, and to his credit, he took it and he ran with it. So now he's doing the ducks and the flails and the arm hooks that he's initiating, and it's somehow found the defender, and he's throwing his arms out and his head's flailing, and he's shooting 15 free throws a game again and again and again and again and again. And I'm watching it, and I'm going, how on earth is this good? How is this fun? How is this allowed to happen? How are referees, who by all accounts continually watch film of these players, how are they falling for these parlor tricks over and over and over and over? Stars are everything in the NBA. We've seen a million different examples of just the way that refs have gone overboard on behalf of teams or players that it's probably in the best interest of the league for them to win. But the way that we arrive at that, I go, this is not, this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem fun. 2002 Western Conference Finals, Lakers-Kings game six. It's the all-time classic example. It's the game that has been referenced by Tim Donaghy, who before he was put in prison for fixing games as an NBA referee, he pointed out and said, yeah, that game was pretty murky. Uh, it's the Kobe Shaq Lakers. They shot a gazillion free throws in the fourth quarter of that game to extend it to game seven. They end up winning in overtime there. Third title of their three-peat. They were the most marketable team at the time. The Kings, they were the funnest team from a viewing perspective, but they didn't necessarily have the star power. Weber, Bibby, Stojakovic, they're not going to match up against Kobe and Shaq. Those are the two most popular players in the league at the time. Dwayne Wade in the 2006 NBA Finals, he shoots 97 free throws in six games. It's an NBA record. It was not fun to watch. Dwayne Wade, he was an up-and-coming star. In game five alone of that series, he shoots 25 free throws. I still vividly remember it, and I just sat watching going, what in the hell is this? This is so bizarre. I didn't have a dog in the fight. I didn't care if the Heat won. I didn't care if the Mavericks won. But I was watching it and going, what? what is happening here? It was the same amount of free throws, 25 that Dallas attempted as a team in that game. 
again, going back to the McDavid point in the playoffs, there are certain numbers that you just hear and you go, that's impossible. It just is. In a normal game, I've watched so much basketball or hockey in my life, I just understand this is not possible. So you take all of that into account, this opposite end of the spectrum, NBA versus NHL. If stars are everything, this is what we, we now arrive at. And you ask the question, you go, what is good for basketball? And me as the viewer, I go, uh, it seems like there's a better balance to be found. You don't necessarily want to watch James Harden shoot 20 free throws a game. If he earns those in a correct manner because he is more skilled and he is better and these other teams are just grabbing him, then good on him. I will sit through that and I go, this, maybe this isn't as fun, but I understand why this is occurring because this player is quicker and faster than the people that he is going against. And if that's the case, then so be it. But if it's the manipulation that a lot of NBA stars have perfected, James Harden is not alone there. You can go and watch pretty much anybody. You can watch LeBron. You can watch Durant. You can watch Chris Paul. Very good example. Every star in the league, they understand now, ah, if I do certain things, I can manipulate refs into giving me calls because A, I'm a star. B, I'm skilled. And C, I know that refs are going to cater towards me. So now as I'm looking at both of these leagues and this particular issue, I'm going, all right, how can both the NBA and the NHL not find a better middle ground for allowing their stars to thrive within the confines of a game that also provides opportunities for lesser players to leave their mark? Seems like you could find an easier Pretty quick solution to get to that point. Think the NFL. They're in a pretty good place there. It's not perfect. Nothing really ever is, but they're in a much better place finding a balance there than the NBA or the NHL. The solution, I mean, for both of these leagues, it seems so easy, yet at times so far away. The NBA, it's just, look, you can call less fouls sometimes. It's easy. You don't have to fall for foul baiting. When James Harden goes in and flails, just let it go. It's really easy to not... Do that. It's really easy to not fall for these magic tricks. Look at international basketball as an example of what the NBA could be. I'm, I'm struck by it every time I watch Olympic games because they ref very differently there. They don't care about the flopping. They don't care about the foul baiting. They just sit there. And so NBA players at the start, they do all the NBA tactics. They fall down, they flail, they bitch and moan. And the refs just walk down to the other side of the court. And pretty quickly, everybody just adapts and they go, oh, all right. I know that if I'm driving to score, I need to try and score. I can't drive to try and draw a foul. Because these refs are going to let a little bit more contact go. And they're going to call fouls when they very clearly see them. I like that as a fan. I think it's really fun to watch the best players in basketball play basketball rather than foul bait. The NHL, again, the solution seems pretty easy, yet at times far away. If goons want to goon up your sport, just suspend them. It's quite easy. It's really, really, really easy. And it's going to be good for your game, I promise you. You know who's sitting at home wishing they could watch more Jay Beagle? Nobody. Who's sitting at home wishing they could watch more Tom Wilson? Nobody. But every single person who likes hockey right now, they'd go, yeah, I'd like to watch more Troy Terry or Trevor Zegras or Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid or Artemi Panarin the dude who was involved with the Tom Wilson incident last year, I, I want to watch all those players play hockey. And if you're trying to attract 
others to your sport, which is the endless thing the NHL is always trying and failing at, this is where you start. You let your star players play. That is what is going to attract people to your sport. This is not rocket science. A lot of casual observers, if they see Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon in full flight going down and ripping a wrist shot past the goalie, they go, that was kind of cool. I, I, what's the sport like? Maybe I'll tune in for a period here. Maybe I'll tune in for a game here. That's how you get your hooks in. Now, as I wrap all this up, this is where I get really frustrated because the most confounding part about this issue is that sometimes I feel like both the NBA and the NHL are actively working against the collective interests of their fans. Nobody's sitting at home saying, I want to watch more stars shoot free throws. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's sitting at home saying, I'd love more Jay Beagle and less Connor McDavid. Nobody's saying that. And what is so frustrating about that dynamic is that change could happen relatively quickly if either organization cared enough to lean into it. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Remember, I am sending out a weekly newsletter starting this week. If you are not already subscribed to it, go to chrisrawl.com, click on the subscribe button, give me your email. I will send you a nice little 800 or so words every single week on Wednesday. It's going to be a grand old time. Thank you for listening today, and I will talk to you on Friday. <laughs>